Welcome back to the podcast. It is good to have you uh, here with us this week as we continue uh, our series on uh, Beyond Sunday School. Uh, how do we, you know, how do we study the Bible, engage with the Bible uh, as adults beyond uh, veggie tales and the felt board, so to speak? So uh, we are going to spend a little bit of time. Uh, this week, talking with one of my good friends, John Annabel, and uh, we are going to talk about uh, the different genres of, of scripture. Because um, a lot of folks, uh, you know, try to read, interpret, or understand the Bible uh, like it's one, just kind of one kind of literature, one kind of book. Um, so, uh, for us to really rightly understand uh, the Bible, we need to rightly understand, um, you know, what's what's going on in it. So, um, John, before we kind of dive in, just give us a little bit of give us a little bit of your background, because um, you're not you're not just some not just some dude off the street that uh, that is sitting here chatting about about the Bible. You've got, right. you've got some credentials that, yep. uh, that I think are, I don't know. Uh, I'm not much of a credentialist, but I think it's important for people to know kind of, kind of where you're, where you're coming from. Sure. My, sure, my background. Um, so I, uh, I have an MDiv. Let's just get that out of the way. You know, I have credentials. There you go. I have never used it. I do not care about it. I've never tried to leverage it in order to monetize my life, um, which has been an interesting journey so far. Um, When I got married uh, a little over 10 years ago, and my wife is a wedding photographer, jenannable.com, shout out to her. Um, And she's really good at her job. And when I was starting seminary, she was like, hey, I work every Saturday. And if you're going to be a pastor, you're going to work every Sunday. So can you at least help me with my job while I uh, go through school? And I was like, sure, that sounds great. Um, I then graduated from school and um, my wife was like, you know, I'm really proud of this business we built. We should keep going. And so um, our, from a monetary standpoint, we've uh, maintained the photo business. But I went to school with the idea that um, – I didn't want to be a pastor, but I wanted to have the credentials that I needed to be taken seriously, even though that's never been important to me. Um, it's important to other people, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and that was actually my wife's pushing. I tried to quit seminary many times and my, and my Jen was just like, no, you got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary in 2015 and since then, or not even since then, before then and since then, I've used um, just kind of my background and learning about, um, you know, what it looks like to build churches or different types of communities or whatever. I've used that in various capacities while we also do our photo business on the side. Yeah. My wife spearheads. And so we have a cool little um, fun setup going here in Grand Rapids. I love yeah. it. I love it. So, um, yeah, so Fuller Fuller is such a great school. That's that's one of those one of those schools that you know I'm like, man, that'd have been kind of cool to go to. 
Yeah, so I chose Fuller um, in like 2006, seven. I don't remember exactly. Um, but it was because they're interdenominational. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool that there were, uh, at the time, 15 or 16 different denominations represented. And instead of going to a specific uh, seminary that has a specific denominational track, I was like, this interdenominational stuff and getting a broader perspective is very valuable. Um, and I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, I happened to choose Fuller right when Rob Bell decided to like jump out of the evangelical bubble. <laughs> and he also went to Fuller and was also in West Michigan. And so like my credibility went down the tubes. <laughs> as, soon as, that, as soon as that man wrote Love Wins, I was just screwed. <laughs> and now, now because of that, you're actually like your credibility is way right. up here now. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You, just, you just stick around long enough, dude, and it all, it all changes. Exactly. You, you know, relentless, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. So, all right. Um, so why do you, why do you think, um, you know, kind of identifying the different genres of the Bible, uh, is important? You know, why, why do you think, why do you think people who are trying to, trying to understand the Bible, trying to understand God and Jesus and all this mm. stuff, um, why is, why is that important? Why can't you just open up your Bible and just be like, oh, it's the Bible. So, right. you know, we're, we're good. Yeah. Um, well, from my perspective, piggybacking on basically just what I said, the first book that uh, Fuller makes you read uh, is a book by Fred Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. And hey, re repeat that because you broke up a minute. Okay. Uh, it's by Frederick Buechner, spelled Buechner, but Frederick Buechner is how it's pronounced. It's called Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. Um, small book that doesn't really say all that much other than opening your mind to the idea that there are different narratives built within the same book mm. and seeing Genesis as a poem, as opposed to a, um, like factual, um, historical account takes on two different postures and how do we engage with that? And it just wrecked my world from day one. And it's been awesome moving forward. And I still don't know, like I'm talking to you about these topics um, as somebody who's willing to engage with the different narratives, but not somebody who's actually an expert either, you know, right. like, because none of us were alive 2,000, 7,000 years ago, right? <laughs> we can only well, do our best. I mean, I am pretty old, but. That's true. Yeah. That I'm, I'm not that old. So yeah, and, and that's just it, right? I mean, you know, I think, I think one of the things is that we get into a lot of trouble when we try to read, let's say, like I've been talking through, um, talking a little bit about Genesis 1 and 2, the last couple of episodes of this Beyond, Beyond Sunday School thing. Um, mm -hmm. And we get, we get into trouble if we try to read Genesis 1 and 2 as, you know, science textbooks the way we think of science textbooks or, or, or even it, or even just reading them as, as, you know, modern history. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, cause when you, when you read them as poetry, I mean, that, that changes everything, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, big time. Yeah. Because you're not going to read poetry the same way you're going to read a history book. Mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, you start talking about metaphors and illustrations and simile and, and you know, language play. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'll never forget, you know, my first, you know, early on in, in college taking an English class and we're talking about different literature styles and, um, and basically how in poetry you can kind of throw out uh, all the rules of grammar and it's okay. Oh, yeah. Because it's poetry. Mm-hmm. And it's really mm-hmm. not that different, you know, in, in, in the ancient languages either. Um, mm-hmm. they, they played by different sets of rules when they started doing, you know, started using, started using poetry. Right. And lest we forget that none of this was actually written down by the people who were telling these stories, you know? So, like, even the way they were communicating it was different than the way that we are engaging with it. Right. And so... And, and that's and that was actually a freeing thing for me when I started thinking about it, uh, specifically like Genesis as poetry is poetry is alive. It's you know, it's not it's not stagnant. It's not static. It um, is alive and breathes. Right. And there's a lot of beauty to be taken in while um, viewing Genesis as poetry that we can actually afford that book that chapter, whatever, um, you know, the, um, livelihood that it already has, you know, it's just, re- it's, it's treating it with respect in my mind to a certain extent, as opposed to a textbook, which is just trying to get our own way figured out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if there's, cause I think that's one of the things that's been really important for me is if there's, you know, if there's room in understanding, you know, the different kind of genre that we're talking about here, it, mm-hmm. it, it requires a different set of different set of principles to, to study it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, uh, I was working through, there's a great little book um, called how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and one of the things it does is it kind of walks through, how do you, how do you approach the different, the different genres? Right. Um, because, you know, you look at a, I think one of the things that, that people are most familiar with are the letters of Paul. And mm-hmm. those are, those are to be read and studied so differently than a gospel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can't take the same, you can't study a gospel the same way you study, you study the, the letters. Because right. they're two totally different, totally different genres. So, mm-hmm. so as you... Let's let's start with the gospels. How do you how do you approach the gospels? Like how do you how do you identify them? Um, you know, as you as you think about what's going on in Matthew, Mark, Luke, we'll, we'll set John aside as kind of its it's kind of its, <laughs> it's kind of its sure. own deal. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how do you how do you approach them to try to actually make sense of of what's happening and what's what's going on there? Sure. This might be a terrible analogy, but it's honest. I kind of treat, yeah, I kind of treat them like uh, news outlets to a certain extent, like trusted news outlets. Um, you know, when I'm looking around the world and trying to figure out what craziness is going on, I usually look to a variety of trusted news sources and try to find the commonality that is shared in that regard. And when it comes to the Gospels, I kind of do a little bit of the same thing. It's a totally different posture, but there's a similar process involved um, where I look for the account of Jesus to be across um, whole four different viewpoints. 
in the gospels and find the commonality and find the themes that are being given away here because i don't think the intentionality was ever to pen something down specifically so that 2000 years later a couple of woke white dudes are reading it and being like this is exactly what happened and we should just teach out of this framework for like brick by brick building process right That's, i don't think that was ever the intention so how do we give it the space to be alive? How do we um, let it teach us? How do we let the narrative teach us in a day-to-day -day life um, in 2020? And to me, that's comparing and contrasting the, vari the various differences as well, as, long as, the, as well as the similarities. And that, for me, helps me see a more 30,000-foot view as opposed to like a 10-foot view, yeah. which is predominantly what I've seen taught out of the gospels is a very narrow viewpoint. And so um, that's all good and well, and has its place, but I think about it a little bit bigger just because it helps me frame it in a more positive light overarching. If that yeah. Makes sense. yeah. Because I think, you know, I think when it comes to the gospels, we have to, we have to read them as, as a narrative, right? I mean, they're mm -hmm. not, you know, Paul, Paul, for instance, in the epistles is not writing narrative. He's not writing. Right. He's not telling a story. There's mm. underlying narrative, right? That, that he's that he's speaking into, um, but and making presumptions off of. Yeah, absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. Right. But but the gospels themselves are not. You know, we you have to you have to find that story arc, and mm -hmm. those guys were master storytellers, and yep. so too often I think, like you said, we look at people look at the gospels in these small little pieces. Whereas if you can take big chunks, you're able to catch that. You're able to catch that story arc so much more. You're able to catch the, uh, the rise and the fall, the characters, the settings, the conflict, the, the resolution, the falling action, all that kind of stuff. You begin to, you begin to see when you take like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine chapters or what mm -hmm. we call chapters um, together. And you begin to see those, those story arcs forming and, and it changes, it really changes the way that, uh, that the Bible hits. If you can, mm -hmm. if you can read gospels as, as narratives, as stories, um, yeah. you know, almost, almost like historical fiction and, and, and that, and that sounds bad. Um, mm -hmm. right. Because, you know, fiction you know, we say, well, that's, it's not real. Um, right. It's, but I, I think of them I'm realizing more and more, um, if I can engage with them, you know, similarly to, uh, you know, like, like the Jeff Shara works and his, his historical mm -hmm. fiction that is based on um, deep, deep study and academic rigor. And he's, and he's put together these narrative tellings of historical events yeah, mm -hmm. some of the, you know, maybe some of the conversations in those books, you know, they didn't happen exactly that way, but, right. but the gist is there. And, and so mm -hmm. I think similarly to the gospels, you know, you're, like you said before, with Genesis, we're writing down these oral traditions, these, these stories that have been kicked around the community for, you know, 10, 50, 80 years, mm -hmm. but you're not going to have exact quotes. You've got, 
you've got gists of these ideas that are going on and, and but the bigger the bigger thing is is the story um yep in that in that narrative that's that's being woven together um totally and, and so when you when you do that right you begin to see you begin to see all these other connections back to earlier narratives mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. i'm working my way right now uh through uh the seven i am statements in in the gospel of john and mm-hmm. i'm just i'm sh- i'm shocked even though i shouldn't be shocked at how many of them go right back to the exodus telling yeah uh-huh. uh, and then you just you begin to see how okay john is so so clearly casting jesus as the new true ultimate moses right mm-hmm. uh, the one who's going to lead his people out of out of not just slavery but bondage to sin and 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 all that it's just, so it's fascinating mm-hmm. to see how those stories begin to tie together it's almost like mm-hmm. um you know your your brother-in-law and my good friend the beard w- would say it's 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 like sitting down and watching you know all of the fast and furious movies over like a, a 48 hour period you're able to see the, uh, the rise and uh, fall right <laughs> oh no <laughs> I am not a Fast and the Furious apologist, but I understand the point. Yeah, <laughs> that's just great. I, I I really hope I really hope the bearded one is watching and and just saw your reaction to to, to that to that connection. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, so what other what what other uh, what other genres in in the Bible do people need to be aware of? Um. Well, in my head, just we talked about loosely having this conversation today. Um, in my head, I wanted to bring up Paul, which you just touched on, obviously. Yeah. Is letters are far different from the whole rest of the narrative that's represented. And it was funny to me starting off in seminary. I don't know if you had the same experience, but like people had a viscerally horrible reaction to Paul. <laughs> after they started like digging deeper into the text and understanding a little bit of language, like people hated Paul. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's just because you're still treating it in the same way that you've been treated. And now you're learning new information and you're learning that these are actually letters, just like we've been talked about the whole time. Right. You know, it's been told nothing is new. We're just understanding how they are written to a certain extent or the process in which it, went through and all that stuff i'm like so what's keeping us from actually reading these as a letter as opposed to again like a historical document or something that's often said in sunday school is like a road map or uh an instruction manual or whatever right you know all the all the terrible analogies it doesn't matter that's not what they were intended to be and it's worth our time to afford the posture to understand the narrative the way that it was either told or written down like a letter or a poem or truth it doesn't matter what it is but it's, it's worth our time navigating that i think is the important thing that i've learned in seeing different narratives throughout um the bible is it's it's my responsibility as a follower to engage with this in the way that brings it alive in the way that it was intended yeah and that's really fun to do it's a really fun journey it is. It is. Yeah. So, so if you, so like you said, you know, looking at, looking at Paul's letters, if we know that they're letters, 
how does that how do you, how has that impacted your study of of what Paul wrote? Because the guy wrote like two thirds of the New Testament. Sure, so he's a, he's an important figure. I mean, you know, scholar. You know, a lot of theologians would say that he's he's the founder in a sense of Christianity. Is how right. some scholars would would frame right. the Apostle Paul. Um, right. So. So realizing that those are letters, how does that, how has that impacted the way you study them? Um, when I realized Paul never wrote me a letter, that's what changed it. Hmm. You know, like Paul never wrote to Jonathan Annabelle in Grand Rapids. He wrote to people in Thessalonica and wrote to the Ephesians, you know. And so I'm not the audience. I have to read what he is saying and understand the intent. All right, I, it, it's worth intent of what he is saying to a specific audience because of the letter directed at a very specific group of people, not me. And I'm not, I'm not that important to pretend that it's written to me, frankly. So yeah. it's, it's worth my time to figure out what's the broader understanding here? What am I, what am I being invited into by being witness to this letter being written to a group several thousand years ago? What's, what's the broader lesson that I am invited into to learn today in 2020. Mm -hmm. And that's helped me a ton. And yeah. I stink at it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm any good at it. Sure. That well, posture well, well, has, yeah, cause, cause has we're all been in, helpful. Yeah. Cause we're all in process. Right. I mean, I, I right. mean, <laughs> One of my friends said it really well. When you get a master's of divinity, uh, they really need to change that to like, you know, master of being an apprentice. Right. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like you just, you, you kind of walk out of after four years of a, of a MDiv program, you're like, holy crap, I've got more questions than answers. And this is yeah. really frustrating and I'm tired of reading. So uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going to let all this stuff marinate for a while. But, yeah. you know, you just, you kind of realize how, how, how much of the journey you still have. Um, mm -hmm. So you said something really, I, I think that was really important. Um, and you said, you know, you realized that Paul never wrote to John Annabel. Yeah. Um, because one of the things, you know, I, I was a part of a, I was on staff with a, with a large, uh, you know, interdenominational Christian missions organization for mm -hmm. 10 years. And one of the things that I heard a lot uh, during that time were uh were people who get up and give talks and and they would take these passages from from Paul and they would say okay now wherever it says you put your name in there right, right? yeah and and I always you know that was always so moving right you know you're like oh mm -hmm. wow look at Jesus you know and we and we also quickly switch Paul out for Jesus right oh Jesus oh, said yeah. this right to me and oh it's just you. And then you take a Greek class. Well, Paul is bigger than Jesus in a lot of evangelical circles. So Very much so. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you take a Greek class, and, and you realize that the you in the epistles is almost universally no. plural. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. That, that freaking wrecked my life, man. Oh, dude, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. And it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, like... It's, it's, it's so I, I remember coming home after a, after a class and just sitting there talking with my wife, like, you know, they really need to change English translations to include uh, the Southern y'all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, y'all is the proper, 
<laughs> that's the proper trans translation in so many places. Um, Amen. You know, because when it when when you start to understand that 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 these these letters that Paul wrote weren't individualistic, but they're corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, because we take they a lot of yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you and you take a lot of the the salvation language that that evangelicalism has adopted. Um, you know, with with really starting with Finney and some of those guys in the second great awakening where they've so hyper individualized all this and you miss, you miss that. No, this is talking about plural. God was, God is not at work saving individuals. He's at work saving the people. And, mm-hmm. and Paul, Paul hammers that home all the way throughout his letters. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, it becomes, it goes from exclusionary to inclusionary and it's just this, it, it makes the gospel so much bigger. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and realizing that it's corporate, not even individual, just whew, yeah, mm-hmm. mind mind blowing kind of stuff. Yeah, um, big time, <laughs> big time, and yeah. and freaking awesome too. Let's be honest, you know, yeah. like the invitation into the expansiveness of that is a wonderful gift that a lot of people who fervently seek after Christ haven't afforded themselves the opportunity to think that big right either right and that's a really um it's a sobering reality and a challenge to people who are pastors like me and you to try to um create spaces and environments where that's you know it's, it's good to start dreaming bigger and think bigger yeah 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 and we have to um mm-hmm. so i think i think for so long so many people have been so limited by their by their reading of of paul as being so um, individualistic though they can't like Eugene Peterson talks about how we need to have our imaginations redeemed, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's a freaking rock star. He is. He is. Yeah. Peterson is the man, dude. I, I, I love that guy. Um, mm-hmm. so, all right. So you got, you got Paul. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things today in a, in a group chat that I'm in, uh, there was, a uh, a guy named, uh, Benjamin Corey, uh, okay. who's a Gordon Conwell grad, he, uh, while he doesn't hold, you know, Gordon Conwell's a little more on the, on the reformed edge of things. Um, so but he took, he took the dispensational uh, view, kind of the left behind way of interpreting uh, the book of Revelation and mm and apply and interestingly applied it to uh Donald Trump which was oh. which was super interesting um to kind of watch how that played out um but it just struck me that you know there's these huge parts of Christianity that, that read revelation and try to take it and make it fit the times and try, so they can try to figure out who the antichrist is and who right you know are we in the end times and seems like every few years you've got somebody saying, Hey, Jesus is coming back on this day at this time and that kind of thing. Um, And, and it's because they read revelation the same way they read Paul, the same way they Mm -hmm. read. It's just this like very straightforward kind of thing. So, um, so that's, so revelation though is, is a totally different genre. It's this apocalyptic kind of thing. Um, So how, as you engage with that, um, what are some of the things that, that run through your, run through your head? 
Um, well, first of all, a lawnmower just started next door. Can you hear that? Is Can't that hear it. Okay, Can't great. Hear it. Uh, let me know if it gets loud. Um, I I have a really hard time with revelationists, like Christians who pin their entire hopes and dreams on revelation and trying to be the one to predict the future right because that's the posture that i actually see yeah um i don't really see in what you just described people who are really trying to dissect revelation and um make sense of it to an extent that they can give it away that's good news i usually see it as a way of i'm trying to figure out what is going to happen it doesn't matter if it's a word of god or some conspiracy theory mashup of the word of God. I'm trying to predict the future. So I have some security for myself and understanding of where I'm going forward. And that's just not helpful and not reality. And that's not what the book was written for. Right. Um, so my posture generally is with revelation is kind of the opposite of the intent. I usually use revelation with people who've already uh, engaged with it that direction. Hmm. And all I use it for is deconstruction backwards. Yeah with the intent that we eventually create reconstruction, but I move away from revelation when I do yep. that. Because, yep. um, um, and the left behind thing is a really good um, kind of, um, I don't know the right word, token of like understanding how people are really actually treating revelation this day and age. Right. It's like, we really just want it to be correct so that we look good. Yeah. And, you know, and that's it. Right. Right. <laughs> we don't really oh, care beyond that. Man, I, I remember when I was in college, um, we watched this uh, really bad B, maybe C movie from the late 70s. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was about the second coming. And it was, it was, it was so awful. Oh, Thief in the Night. That's the name of it. Oh yeah, dude, scared the living crap out of me. Um, <laughs> for so, dude, it was awful. It, it just that was so frightening. And so many people look at that and go, "Oh, that's that's what's going to happen." Oh yeah, well, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're screwed. You know, it's like, yeah. no, no. How, so how do you identify? How do, how do you? So if you have like, you know, because there's, so what is you're reading through the scriptures what are some of the things that, that are kind of markers for you where you're able to kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm reading, you know, historical narrative now, or, oh no, I'm, I'm in, I'm starting to read. No, I'm in poetry. Nope. I'm in apocalyptic. Uh, no, I'm in, you know, whatever. How do you, how do you determine, or what are some of the things that, that you begin to look for um, to kind of give you, just to, to give you some hints as you're reading along uh, that you're in, yeah. into some different, different types of genres. Mm-hmm. I got no good answer for that, frankly. <laughs> um, my, my, the realistic answer is uh, I went to school and I, I have some understanding of the different postures and, um, and I take time to engage with it in that regard. Um, and I also take time to encourage other people to engage with it in the same light. Um, so for me, it's a, uh, a forced learning scenario because of schooling and do, having to do homework that I didn't want to do. 
I kind of got forced into looking at things differently than I was brought up, not like right or wrong necessarily, but yeah. like broadening my perspective um, and engaging with like Genesis as a poem has really helped me. And this, I'm going to get really thrown under the bus here for this one. But my wife is a uh, dinosaur denier. Okay. She does not believe dinosaurs existed. It's easier for her to believe that dinosaurs are just fossils in the ground. They don't matter. They're never going to be a thing in real life in our lifetime. So they just, they weren't real. We don't need okay. to, they're not in the Bible. They don't matter. All right. You know? So, you know, they're just fake. They're all lizards, basically. You yeah, know, yeah. big lizards. Yeah. Okay. Or birds. Who cares? Yeah. You know? And so, like, combining, like, my wife's um, anti-dinosaur and creating Genesis or understand Genesis as a poem, it's really kind of lovely for me. Yeah. It all just kind of happened because I happened to go to seminary and understand that Genesis is more appropriately viewed as a poem in our current understanding than it is as a textbook. That's a luxury that I obtained going through seminary. And then my lovely wife, Jennifer, who has wonderful skill sets and is very smart and is very willing to admit that she has no science to back up the fact that dinosaurs did exist, but she is a denier. Um, you know, like I can fit it all in. Like it doesn't really matter to me if dinosaurs existed, right? This is not the question that's being asked in Genesis. It, exactly it has yeah. it doesn't matter to me about seven days it doesn't matter about dinosaurs it doesn't matter at all because the broader understanding of what we're being invited into listening to of, as a poem that's alive and forever growing with us is a lot more powerful than trying to prove that a t-rex was badass right. right yeah well we've got jurassic park for that so we're good to go amen <laughs> yeah you Great know soundtrack too Great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the things that I've, that I have noticed, um, it's been really helpful for me is, uh, when, when you're reading through, when you're reading through the scriptures, um, especially, especially as you're reading through like the, the, the major prophets, right? Like the big guys, you know, Isaiah, yeah. Jeremiah, Daniel, um, you, there tends to be some markers in there because in those texts, you're flipping from uh, historical narrative to poetry to apocalyptic kind of stuff. Right. Like it's just kind right. of all interwoven right in there. Um, mm -hmm. But what I'm finding is that the, the, the way to, uh, the way to identify some of that is, is the kind of language they're using. Right. Um, right. Right. And so, you know, when things tend to slip into that prophetic or apocalyptic kind of language, you start, you start seeing words like signs, wonders. Mm -hmm. um, you, you begin to see a lot of, uh, a lot of bet hedging, you know? Yeah. It's as if it's sort of like, kind of like, maybe sort of, kind of. I mean, they, they, these guys stop being very specific and exact, and start, mm -hmm. you know, really pulling in metaphors, similes, illustrations. Um, right. And you know, right. and yet you, but then you can kind of flip back and go, 
to then they'll slide right back into historical narrative where they'll say in this year at this time in this month this guy was king in this location and these things happened and it's like oh okay wait we're, we're into something different now right um and right and and I, and I think that's one of the reasons why i love um isaiah chapter six so much which uh-huh. uh, for for those of you that, that aren't familiar with it that's the calling of isaiah that's where he you read through the big time prophets and they all kind of talk about how they were called to ministry. Right. And mm-hmm. in Isaiah six, you have his call and, and he starts in this historical moment in the year that King Uzziah died. Right? So, okay. We know when, you know, we kind of have this, but then he slides into this vision and, mm-hmm. and as he goes into this vision, it gets way more out there and, and he begins to, um, to kind of pull himself away from very exact language into uh, it was like this, it was like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah. those, those kinds of, uh, those kinds of language shifts, I think are really important as we're reading through the Bible to kind of, to kind of use as uh, just little red flags to kind of be like, Oh, we're into something a little bit different. I need to think about this different. Um, right. Because if we're talking about signs and symbols and illustrations and metaphors, you know, um, I, I need to, I need to not read that the same way as I would say this passage in first Kings. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is so significant. Um, right. And, and, you know, cause you look at like, like in revelation, you know, the, the description of Jesus in Revelation, things talking about like he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. It's like, do you, do, do you really <laughs> literally think that's what he looks like? Like he's got this giant sword hanging out of his mouth? No. I mean, that's pretty badass. Let's be honest. I, I'm not sure is. if I'm allowed to swear. That's my second time I've done hey, it. Hey, you swear all you want, buddy. It's, right. it's you that's going to take the heat on this, not me. So that's good. <laughs> and, yet, and then we want to turn around on the very next page. We want to read that as literal. And so it's like, how do we, right. you know, we have, we have to understand in some of these different, different texts that, that there are, you can't approach them the same way. And, right. and it just gets more and more. Um, uh, when was the last time you read Ecclesiastes or how familiar are, with, are you with Ecclesiastes? I did, I taught through Ecclesiastes a few years ago. Um, okay. It's such a great text. It is. And it, it feels like a kind of microcosm of this conversation to yeah. a certain extent to me. Cause like so much of the book is like all this warning against folly and there's all this, uh, the first 11 and a half chapters are all building towards like a singular finite solution through different layers. Right. Yep. And there's all this grotesque stuff in the beginning and throughout the middle but in the end you're like oh if you read it in the entirety of it and you see that like the real um message in the end is like fear god and keep his commandments right <laughs> you know? yeah like, it's a wonderful book and it gives a lot of wisdom within that little teeny phrase that's the rest of the book yeah but most people the way that i was taught ecclesiastes is like it's this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, fear God, keep his commandments. That's not, 
Solomon, who was presumably the author's like intention. Right. Right. It was here are a whole bunch of warning signs and all of this grandiose, like, let me paint you the big picture so that you can see it's worth following God, fearing God right. and, 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 and clinging to the Hebrew God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing I love in, in Ecclesiastes along with, along with that, the other kind of big idea there is enjoy today. Right. Today yeah. is this amazing gift that you have. Enjoy it. You know, live, work, work, work to your work for, for joy, live for joy. Um, you know, in, in this moment, because today is, is in a sense what you have to work with. Um, yeah. It's dude. Ecclesiastes is like the perfect postmodern uh, book in the Bible. I just I, it is. It's a little uh, ridiculous. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and that's but that's another. It's such a great. It's it's such a great point though, right? Because you do you slide from him in there. He's he's got these sections of you know kind of philosophizing, and then he's you know dropping wisdom poetry, and then he's you know he's he, he kind of does all these all these different things. Um, and it's, and it's so helpful. Um, yeah. you know, and, and then you have, and then you have Proverbs, right? Uh. Which is, which again is, it's, it's its own thing uh-huh. because each verse basically stands alone. Right. The problem with Proverbs is that it, it too, it too well fits with like, um, above the kitchen sink kind of mantra. Right. Life, you know, <laughs> Like we've created Proverbs to be a marketable one-liner as opposed yeah. to a book of wisdom. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy. It's so easy to right. just pull those. But yet. But at the same time, it's all wisdom. It's all wisdom. Get it out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so as you, so as you are studying and teaching people to read the Bible. Um, what are, what are some of the most important things that, that you want them, you feel like people kind of, if they could wrap their minds around this, then mm-hmm. man, we could, we could really, we could, we could kind of move away from some of the, the ridiculous problems that, that we have, that we see within the church. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you get on Christian Twitter and it's just like, you know, guys, if you could just understand a few of these things, a lot of these issues would go away. Right. Right. <laughs> in, yeah. in your mind, what, well, are, what are some of those things? Well, I, I have a, uh, I have a good legitimate response to you, but I, I'm not sure it's going to make you happy. Um, <laughs> because I, I, I primarily work, um in my ministry quote unquote with millennials yeah um and there's different um things to take into consideration when working with millennials i am one of them and i i represent all of these things i'm about to dog um <laughs> but millennials are more concerned with feelings than facts and so it's more important for me to create space where people are comfortable rather than actually seeing the truth. It used to be you show them the truth and then let them like be invited into it. I have to go the opposite angle because of my demographics. So 
to some extent, all I am doing is being like, what you really need to do is engage with the Bible authentically and actually transparently and not really worry about the fact that you think it sucks or the fact that you think it's prescriptive or the fact that it doesn't really matter what your opinion is on it that's negative. Let's get rid of all that. Let's deconstruct some stuff and let's re-engage in a way that is a little bit healthier or even potentially the way that it was intended to be written, right? Yeah. In, in the genres that it was intended to be written. Um, and I've, I have found that when I direct people that direction, they tend to really enjoy specific parts of the Bible that I give them like encouragement to read. But on their own accord, people just don't want to do it because they're, all the outside voices are crippling to them for the most part. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I think that's interesting that you say that because I think it gets to some of our, um, kind of some of our, our theological understandings, right? Some of our, if, if we believe God is sovereign, good, you know, if, if we believe God wants to make himself known, mm-hmm. then having people authentically engage with the scriptures is, um, sh- should be the goal, right? I mean, that, right. you know, mm-hmm. and, and even, even if initially they're, they're like, I don't like this, I don't feel good about this, they, they push back against all those things that you describe, they can get to that place where they're authentically really authentic, authentically engaging with the scriptures, then, then it comes down to really, do we believe God is going to do the things that God says he's going to do? Right. Right. Um, we don't have to worry about trying to manufacture something in mm-hmm. other people. Um, we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, making them believe the truth or anything like that, because we ultimately are saying, well, we believe God is, is going to bring, bring people into the truth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll be talking about that, oddly enough, in a couple of weeks in the I Am statements where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Beautiful. And I'll, and I'll make my, uh, my scandalous statement that, uh, that truth is relative uh, because, because truth is embodied in a person, which makes it relational. Therefore, it's relative. So, um, Amen. You know, but, but if we believe those things to be true, then, 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 then creating environments where people can really authentically engage with, with scripture, um, Mm -hmm. that really does become so important. Yeah. Um, And it brings it alive. I, I honestly, that's a stupid catchphrase, right? Like bringing scripture alive. Yeah. But like, it actually does. It did for me anyway. Yeah. You know, engaging with it in that posture for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it does over and over and over and over every day. Yep. Yep. Well, and that was not every not every day. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody who opens yeah, the Bible every single day. Every day. But, but when you yeah. do, and, you know, and it was it was so interesting. A, a number of years ago, I had the um, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and um, and I'll never forget. Uh, we were we were on our way up to the Wailing Wall, and um, and men and women are, are separated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a side for dudes and there's a side 
women and they don't go up to the wailing wall together. And, mm-hmm. and as I was walking, you know, over this little bridge thing to kind of walk down to be able to go up to the wall, um, you know, that passage from Paul, of, you know, where he says in, in Christ, right. There's neither male nor female. It just kind of was like, Oh, I get it now. I get it now yeah. because it's alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so, when you start thinking about it in that context of um, this is kind of the idea that Paul was writing to, he was writing in a culture where, where men and women were very separated, were very pulled mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, you look at the Orthodox Jewish population in Israel now, I mean, even their buses have, you know, the women have a spot and the men have a spot. And it's just, it's so separate. Um, yeah. And it, it, it does, it comes to life when you start, when you start just engaging with it in that authentic, very real kind of way, as opposed to um, trying to make it fit into some pre pre prescribed uh, recipe to get people to right. think a certain way. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like even this, this is making me think of like uh, the lesson of the good Samaritan. Like the lesson of the good Samaritan has always been taught to me that it's like a lesson in Christian charity. Like you, it doesn't matter what anybody else says when you see somebody in need, meet that need. Right. That's a good lesson, right? That's not the lesson of the Good Samaritan. Nope. The lesson is the establishment has been shunning this person for the entirety of their life. And it took somebody to cross the picket line in order for them to feel human. That's it, right? Right. Well, and so I'd push even more. Okay. Hit me. That it's, yeah, it's, it's the establishment, but it's the people who should have loved this guy didn't love this win. guy. And so right. the en- the enemy loves this guy. Yeah. And, and that the Wolverines love the Spartans. The Wolverines oh. love the Spartans. Oh, or, or from hard. your position, the Spartan oh. actually went and loved the Wolverine. Oh, I can't imagine. He loved him relentlessly. <laughs> he was relentless in his love to the Wolverine, uh, and he went and bound up his wounds and paid for his hotel stay. Nope, that's too personal. We're not getting in there. I, I know, right? <laughs> I always use the example of Michigan and Ohio State when I teach this. So, you know. Yeah, it, well, I, I'm, I'm happy to bring your uh, older brother argument into it. That's, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Oh, man. But, that, but, you know, that's, but that's just it, right? I mean, there's these deeper things. Um, Mm-hmm. I was reading a, there's a great book uh, called Colossians Remixed uh-huh. um, by uh, Sylvia Kiesmott and Brian Walsh. Uh, if you haven't read it, dude, highly recommend it. Um, but what it does is it, is it really brings out the subversive nature of what Paul was doing in, 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 yeah. his, in his writing that it was, it was so subversive to, as you put it, the, um, the establishment, right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the opening hymn in, in Colossians one 15 through 20 is basically the emperor hymn that, uh, Caesar applied to himself and Paul says, uh, uh-uh, uh, it's Jesus. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. The stuff that's, that's there when you start, when you start kind of going beyond and in and, and kind of deeper up, deeper in. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. They also have one on Romans uh, called Romans Disarmed. Uh, 
highly, Ooh. highly recommend that too. It'll blow your categories. I might have to read that. I wrote my uh, seminary thesis. I entitled it the Constantinian shuffle. Ooh. How, Constant, how Constantine changed the world. That and the printing press, the two things that I pinned for changing spirituality for I the like rest it. of time in the West. Yeah. I like it. Dude, yeah. you might have to send me that paper. That sounds good. Nah. <laughs> I, I'll send you the outline. The paper's too long and, and wordy. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. You only, you only need the cliff notes. That's right. That's right. Well, well, dude, I really appreciate you being here. Um, thanks for being on this week. You, yeah, man. you are the man. So, uh, I, I texted you last night that I was, I was just geeked to talk about this. Stuff. This is, this is our jam. I mean, we text about this stuff yeah. here and there all the time, but it's fun to do it. It, it is fun. It is. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully, hopefully for some of you, uh, that are watching, uh, have, uh, are thinking about some of this stuff. Um, let me, uh, let me check the Facebook stream here and see if there are any questions. Uh, not sure if there are or not, but let's, let's take a look. Um, nope, no questions. So apparently we explained this perfectly great. and, uh, everybody has, has great deep understanding. Uh, but if you want to continue the conversation, uh, you can hit either of us up on Twitter. Uh, John, what's your, what's your Twitter handle? At John Annabal, J-O-N-A-N-I-B-A-L. There you go. And I'm at Daniel M. Rose. So continue conversation there. The uh, video archive of this conversation will be at youtube.com slash Daniel Rose. The audio only uh, version of this will come out Friday. Uh, and uh, you can make sure it hits your inbox by going to danielmrose.com and subscribing uh, or just following the Love Well podcast anywhere that you get uh, your podcast episodes. So. Uh, until until next week love well my friends 